Luke chapter 10, we're in our third message in our series called Four, what our church is all about, the stake in the ground, the flag on the mountaintop, the line in the sand. It's who we are as a church, but it's also got a lot of really practical stuff for our lives. Luke chapter 10 and the end of it, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll just get started here if that's okay with you. Dear God, thank you so much for your love for us, for your faithfulness to us. Uh, We just want to worship you and, and hear from your word this morning and do your thing and help us to have fun as we look into your word and encourage those who need encouragement and strengthen those who need strength this morning. I'm not enough unless you come and do your thing here in, in this place and through me and through your word. So we need you to show up so desperately right now. We're grateful and just thankful for you just what we are. We're just thankful for you. The peace you bring, the joy you bring, the life you bring, would you just spread that around like a wildfire this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 930, I'm really grateful to have you here, and what is even more exciting is, welcome Grace Tremont. We are so pumped that you are here joining us. We love you. West Side. I'm not sure how to do that, and I might accidentally make a bad, uh, I don't know. You'll have to work on your own gang signs out there in Tremont. Crisona, we're holding it down here, 930. Just so thankful for each and every one of you that are here, whether you're here, whether you're there, whether you're online, you're a part of this thing, and we are so grateful for you. We love you so much. Now, we're going to talk about our third message in this four-part series. Two, two weeks ago, we talked about For Jesus, for those of you that kind of missed this, this part, just catch you up quick. Last week, we talked about For Schuylkill County. This week, we're talking about how we are a church for your family and friends who don't go to church. And we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 10. Verse 25 through 37. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. I'm a note taker. I love writing in my Bible. If you do too, you're special just like me. And uh, <laughs> uh, um, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to know we love giving away Bibles as part of what we do. We'd love to give you a Bible. We have Bibles both here and at Tremont. In Tremont, see the drummer. In here, you can see Rebecca or whoever's at the welcome table or grab one out of the back. And the really cool thing is if you take one today, it's actually a Bible that Randy Ott, our Connection Care Pastor, bought from his hospital room for you against everybody's orders. He just won't stop. So... Uh, <laughs> Can't stop the guy. (laughs) Lungs, no lungs, doesn't matter. Anyway, you can grab one of those Bibles on the way out if you use your device. We encourage you to use your cell phones in church. And uh, I use an app called YouVersion on my phone. And it's a great Bible app. You ready for this? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I love just reading this, by the way. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Don't you love those questions slid in there, like trying to trick you? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem, he tells this parable, uh, to Jericho, Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It's expensive and needed on this journey. Then he put, a, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on it. Couldn't even say the Samaritan, that's how much he despised Samaritans, that Jesus used the Samaritan as the hero in the story was epic, messing with the audience here. Uh, couldn't even say it. The one who had mercy on it is all he could say. And then Jesus said, and if you get one thing out of this message, if you don't listen for the rest of the time, if you're out there in Tremont working in your grocery list for hitting up the grocery store on the way, if you're here in Cresona, you're just like, just going to space out for the rest and take a little nap in this nicely lit room here for the rest of the day. Get this. Go and do likewise, Jesus said. Questions, you know. There's a lot of questions in this passage, and I feel like the kids, the age that they are in my life, have become experts in asking questions to try to trick me. You, you, if you got little kids, you know, and, and those of you that have raised your kids, you can relate to all the stages. You are so much wiser than us. Please don't tell me what's coming next. I'm afraid of it. <laughs> and I'll just deal with this. You'll be there for me when the surprise comes. But like, but those of you with younger kids, you know, like they just ask questions like all the time, nonstop. Like, why is the sky blue? Well, why are the crowds, clouds white? Well, why didn't God make them a different color? And why, is a, why are shoelaces a thing? And why do, you ha why do we have to wear socks? And, you know, like they just ask you, where did that plant come from? And why do birds have feathers? And why are my eyes blue? And why is your hair gray? And, you know, like because of you. Shut up. Stop asking me questions. <laughs> just kidding. Don't tell your kids to shut up. <laughs> Uh, you know, but then they grow up and they become experts like question ninjas, you know. And I'm in the stage of my life right now where my kids are question ninjas. You see, they ask with an agenda, you know. Like, you know, your questions reveal something about, 
Like most of the time, my questions to my wife reveal that I haven't been paying attention. You know, your questions always reveal, and then you're like, now wait, should I ask this? Did she just tell me? Like, oh, it's risky, risky business. But your questions always, they reveal your heart. And my kids, they're like, they just slide in there. I think they use two techniques on me. The one technique is just wait for the appropriate amount of distraction and stress and slide it in quick and get out fast. So they'll wait till I have a stressful phone call about work, you know, not you all, because you all are great, but you know, like somebody else from like eight o'clock. That's the group that, that's the group that stresses me out the most. Like they'll, they'll, they'll wait till like that and then I'm like trying to do a bunch of stuff and they know that they're gonna be in my hair a little bit, and I have really good hair, so I don't like that. So then I'm like, I'm like, they'll, they'll just time it, like, in and out. I'll, sometimes I'll even see them, like, plotting it around the corner of the door in the hallway, especially the two younger ones, and then they'll slide in. They'll be like, hey, Dad, I know you're really busy. I just wanted to ask you something quick. I'm like, you got to make it quick. And they'll be like, can we play Xbox? And I'm like, I know the answer is supposed to be no, but I say yes. Because they got me. <laughs> or they do this. They're like, let's just beat them down. Let's just like wear them out. So they'll, they'll like plan a rotation. Like they're all punching a ticket. In a, they'll like, I don't know how they do it. If they have like some app on their phone they use to like appropriately space it out. But like one after another, they'll all come in and ask the same question. And I'll say no. And I'll say no. And I'll say no. And I'll say no. And then eventually, have you ever been there? You just say yes because they wore you out of, you're like out of no's. Like you want to say no, but you say yes just because you can't say no. Any, like they just wore you down. Don't judge me and my parenting. Uh, questions reveal something about the person. And here this guy, he thought he was like a question ninja. It was this lawyer who wants to trap Jesus with this question. How do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus' response is epic and patient. And if you have questions, even if those questions are of ill intent for God, even if you got an agenda to your questions, even if you're trying to trick him or you're skeptical about whether this God thing is real, church is even important, if the Bible has anything meaningful for life, maybe you're skeptical because of your past or your, your experiences in church or because somebody like ran you down sometime when you asked a question or they didn't listen, I don't know, but, but here's what I love about this. This question was, was with ill intentions. And yet Jesus patiently, expertly, and epically takes the time to answer that question. And so whatever questions you got, man, the right space for those questions is any space where Jesus is. And I believe that that's right here in Cresona, right there in Tremont, any space. And, and so the question, though, he betrays his motives, right? Like, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Did you catch that? 
little mix-up in his own question because here, here's what's going on here, right? An inheritance is not something you have to do something to get ever. That's not how inheritances work. An inheritance is something that is freely given because of a relationship that you have with someone. You don't got to earn it. So, so his question is jacked up from the beginning. It's the wrong question. It betrays his motives. He, he doesn't understand what he's even asking. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And it's a question we ask all the time. It's probably a question that people you love who don't go to church have rumbling around in their hearts. They're probably afraid of that question. They may never ask it out loud to you, but I guarantee you more people than you think are walking around and that question pops up in their heart and they wonder, is there a heaven and what do I have to do to get there to have the assurance of that hope? But what we don't understand is it's not something we do, it's something we have because of a relationship. He was testing Jesus. And what he would find out in Jesus' answer is that it's not something you have to do. It's something that you have because of who God is and your relationship with him. And just let me say this. Like, relationships, this is not my line. My good friend John Jacobs, who coaches at Baylor University, says this all the time. Relationships are greater than everything. And it's true, it's true no matter what you're talking about in life, whether you're talking about work, whether you're talking about your skills and ability, if you're a, an introvert or an extrovert, whether you like to be alone or get lost in a crowd of people, no matter who you are, what life is like, relationships are greater than everything and the most important relationship gives life and restores and adds hope to every other relationship. So if you have a relationship that's struggling in one of those areas, my, my best guess no, from what I know from Jesus is that it's not that relationship that needs to be fixed first. It's the most important relationship, your relationship with God, that needs the most attention. You know, this test comes to Jesus, and it's just a sidebar here, like tests always come. And as I thought about this passage, and I was working on this message in a hospital room in Allentown with my father, who's very sick, I was, I was wrestling with my own test. <laughs> and I thought it would be important just to mention on the side, like if you got a test right now in your own life, you, you probably got some, some tests Maybe you're walking through. I hope not. I hope everything's great right now. But if you find yourself walking through a test, it doesn't mean that you messed something up. It's not because you're broken or you did it wrong or you failed at something or you didn't know enough. The tests usually come when you're breaking through. The tests come at Jesus from the religious leaders as his ministry on earth leading up to the cross is just breaking through and breaking out everywhere. And the challenges pop up. 
You know, it's, it's interesting the, the amount of tests that we have been under as we launch our first public services in Tremont this morning. Man, the whole team has been tested. How crazy is it that the one who established this entire church, the one whose shoulders this entire church is built on, the one who wanted to be in Tremont so badly today is in a hospital bed right now. The tests come not because you screwed something up, but because you're breaking through. And if you're dealing with a test in your marriage, maybe it's because you're on the verge of breaking through to something really beautiful and good. Anyway, that's just a side. The test comes from Jesus, and that's how we run out of time on a Sunday morning. I just keep, I don't know who that's for. Hopefully it's for somebody. Maybe it's just for me, right? Like, the dude makes a familiar blunder. He gets it wrong in the question. And it's, it's like a contradictory, it's like saying, I, I, I'm eating clean while you're pounding down a Diet Coke, right? Like the two things don't really work. There's too much aspartamine in that Diet Coke to claim you're eating clean, right? Like eternal life is an inheritance that is free based on your relationship with God, which is restored through faith alone, not by works so that anyone could boast. But he gets on to this question, right? Like he, he responds even though the question is broke to begin with, with another question. What's written? How do you read it? And the guy even answers his wrong question with the right answer. Love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. It's this law that Jesus said was most important. In fact, Jesus said everything else hangs off of these two. Essentially saying if you get these two things right, everything else will fall into place. We worry about all the details and we miss the big picture, the big point. Don't miss the big point. Like Jesus says, Everything hangs off of loving God and loving others. The guy answered it right. It's not about what you do. It's about your relationship. And Jesus goes on, but then he tries to like justify himself. You know, like almost like he caught it right there. Like, oops, I, I messed up. I asked the wrong question and I gave the right answer. So he tries to make himself look better in this moment where he says, hey, well, so who is my neighbor? And what he was hoping for, because this is how he would have expected it. He was a Jewish audience with a Jewish teacher that he was testing he would expect Jesus to say, your fellow Jews are your neighbors, just take care of them. To which he would have been like, good, got it, done, I'm in, see you later, passed the test. But it's easy to love people like you, right? It's hard to love people different. It's easy to love and be patient with people who have your same struggle. It's hard to love people who struggle with that thing that annoys you the most. It's easy to love people who look like you, who act like you, who go to the same church or same tattoo parlor, or wear the same clothes. Go birds, by the way. It's hard for you if you're a Dallas fan right now because I'm rocking a Nick Foles jersey. <laughs> right? It's always easier to love people like you. By the way, if you're a Dallas fan, it's hard for me to say it, but I love you. 
I won't like you a couple Sundays this year, but I love you. And you're welcome here in Tremont or Cresona. Oh my word, I almost said go to Tremont. <laughs> uh, no matter where you go, you're welcome. We love you here. Man, it's, it's so Jesus, he like hits this point. And then he goes, goes on to tell this incredible parable about this Samaritan who saw a man on the side of the road beat up from life, beaten down, unable to make it, and decided to do something about it. Now, here's what's interesting. This road, for all of you geography nerds, is 18 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho, history buffs will dig this, is one of the oldest cities known to mankind. Archaeologists proves that, the Bible proves it. Jericho, really old city. Jerusalem, where all the people who were Jewish would go to worship, where Jesus is telling the story right now. 18 miles, and it's one of those trips that gets, goes from bad to worse. And it's not even like one of those trips where they're like, oh, but the view is good. You know, you ever have a friend tell you, all the hiking people, they always tell you that. Like, oh, no, no, this is going to be excruciating. You're going to be dehydrated and cramp up. You may break something. It's going to be the worst 18 mile straight up hike you ever did, but the view is awesome. It's not awesome when you're feeling like you're having a heart attack and you just sweated through three shirts, your knee is about to pop out of place, and you want to punch your tour guide. It's not, it's just, I don't like hiking. All right, so 18, 18 miles, and what you're doing is you're going from a very dry, arid, yeah, our favorite, right? Like, you're going from almost desert to desert as you descend from Jerusalem to Jericho. That doesn't sound like a fun trip. Now, Jericho is also known as an oasis. It's a city that's built around a spring in the middle of a desert, a literal oasis in the desert. And here you have this guy. We don't know why he was traveling. We don't know what it was about, why he was going there. Maybe he was just going there because he had to. Maybe he was returning from worship. Maybe he had family over there. Maybe it was part of his business. All we know is that this guy had to walk this Road, what road do you have to walk right now? This road, it was a difficult road. There are parts of it where it's wide and there are parts of it where it's like you can just get through it by yourself. It's kind of like driving on Interstate 78 these days, right? Like you're not quite sure if it even qualifies as a road. <laughs> it's a difficult road. And this guy, he was, we don't know why, but we know he had to travel this road in this parable. And we know that this road left him vulnerable for attack. There's all kinds of hills and crevices that bandits and robbers would hide behind. And they would rob people, especially if you were traveling that alone. They would take all of your stuff. And there you were left 18 miles to the closest destination to find water and life. And as I think about this story, I think about how many people are walking similar roads right now. I think about your friends and your family members who don't go to church. 
who are on a similar road. You see, this could have been your road, your journey. It might be your road and your journey right now. It's a long trek, and you feel worn out. There's been challenges that you have not anticipated, and your supply feels like it's running short. You feel like you're all alone on that road, and you're very vulnerable. Almost like any life circumstance could come and knock you down and beat you up and spit you out. Just trying to make it day by day by day unprepared for the challenges that could pop up in the middle of this dry desert wasteland. Maybe you are on this road right now. And I'll tell you this, if you're not, you have friends and family who are walking a very difficult road all alone, just trying to make it to a place that they think will give them a better life just trying to find an oasis in the middle of a desert that'll make them feel not so alone, not so anxious, not so depressed, not so hurt or beat down. It could have been your road. It could have been you. It's been some of us already beat up and spit out and left for dead on the road of life with no real hope. You see, when we were picking out messages for this, for this week in this series and we were talking about how we are a church that is for your friends and family that don't go to church, this passage, it screamed out at us because man, this, we get the road. <laughs> We get the lonely road of life when you're all alone and isolated and walking through really difficult stuff. We get what it's like. We know what it feels like and you don't have to walk it alone anymore. Anymore. It could have been us. And right now as you sit here, there are people filling this room and the room in Tremont who have been on those roads, who have been beat down by life, who desperately needed some hope, some joy, and some peace, and who have found it through this relationship with God. We get it. We get that there are some difficult roads you're walking. We get it could be us walking those same roads. It's been us before. And we want you to know, like, God is for you. And we are too. We don't want you to have to walk through life, face these challenges by yourself. You know, the first guy that comes would have been the most epic symbol of hope. The priest walks by followed by the Levite, both very religious people, very leaders. Isn't it funny how the places you think should help often don't. The place that you think you should find hope from sometimes leave you, leaves you disappointed. I, I don't know if this guy was even conscious. I don't want to infer into a parable 
Uh, it's a parable Jesus is telling to make a very big and very important point. So I don't want to drill down too much into it and put stuff in there that isn't in there. But when I read it, I'm like imagining, you know, I wonder if he could see and if he was conscious. And if he was, if he saw this priest coming down the road, his heart might have sparked with hope but then been left with disappointment. How many of y'all have past experiences in church that you were hoping would give you a little more hope but then they left you just feeling more disappointed. The, the person that you thought were gonna help, right? Like, you, you, it sparks this like hope, but then leaves you disappointed. How many of you have had people that you thought would be the ones who could help? You thought were gonna be the ones to add hope into your life, but they just kept walking by and you were left feeling really disappointed. The first guy comes and steps on to the other side and keeps going. We don't know why he kept going. Maybe he didn't want to spend time. Maybe he thought it was too late. Maybe he didn't want to dirty himself because he was heading from Jericho to Jerusalem to perform some priestly duties, as Nacho Libre would say, the most epic wrestler to ever wrestle on the big screen. No, you don't know who Nacho Libre is? Okay, eight o'clock didn't either. 11 o'clock will know who Nacho Libre is. Don't worry. Go birds. Okay, so maybe he just didn't have the time or felt like he didn't have the resources or couldn't do anything for this guy. For whatever reason, he just passed around and kept going, leaving someone not that different from him on the side of the road to die. The Levite comes, does the same thing, just walks by. There's no avoiding the situation. There's no pretending you didn't see it. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's not a wide road. You can actually Google it and YouTube videos and see people walking this road online later today, not right now. That would be distracting. Uh, there's parts of this road where it's so narrow, you'd have to step over a body if it laid on it. There's no excuse. They just couldn't be bothered. Maybe they had good reasons, maybe they didn't. There's no excuse. Couldn't be bothered. Then Jesus throws this wrench into the plan with the Samaritan. The Samaritan who would have been the last one they thought would stop. The Samaritan who they didn't like, they hated. The Samaritan who stops on the side of the road and at great cost to him does whatever it takes to help this guy live. Now, I don't know why church keeps stepping by people. Maybe it's because we're too distracted. Maybe it's because we like our programming too much. We think we're cool. We have this amazing thing going on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's because we just don't understand the need. We don't know how to help. We think it's too late for people. But too often the church in general, the church, big church, not this church, keeps on stepping by people in need. Keeps on dodging the issue. Keeps on saying it's too late. We can't help. What are we going to do ever? It's going to be too messy. We can't be seen like here. What if something happens to us? Too often the church, and I want you to know, you need to know, that's not us. 
We are going to be a church, a people that lives out Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens that lives out Galatians 6.9. That we will... We will not tire and grow weary in doing good because at the proper time, God's gonna give us a harvest. We are going to be like Jesus said when they were distracted, the disciples were distracted and fighting over who was gonna be the most important in the kingdom of heaven and and their status. And he said, that's not how it goes for you, my people. Not so with us. We serve. We are going to be a church that stops for your unchurched friends and family members, even if it's at great cost to us, even if it makes it messy for us, even if other people in other churches bash on us, it doesn't matter. We are going to be a church that follows Jesus, that has a tender heart towards people who don't go to church, that is prioritizing them on our own journey, that is empathetic to their journey because we've been there before, because we lived it, because we know what it's like to walk life without hope, and we know what it's like to walk life with hope. And like Paul said, we are going to be all things to all people so that we may save some. We are for your friends and family members who don't go to church, and I know you look at some of them with desperate eyes and hearts. You've cried tears over them, and you feel like there's nothing you can do, or maybe it's too late. Well, it's never too late with God, and you're not alone. And together, God can use us to do the spectacular and the impossible in the lives of the people you love and are desperate for to find hope. If you don't believe me, spend some time getting to know people that you're going to church with in Cresona and Tremont. And what you will find is a significant amount of people that you are surrounded by at some point in the last five years were the unchurched friends and family members of people who sat in this room and prayed for them. Which one are you gonna be like? I don't wanna be like the priest, the Levite, I want to be like the Samaritan who had a tender and willing heart and even at great cost to him was doing, was willing to do whatever it took, willing to set aside his own agenda and his own preferences to help people in great need. There's more of them than there are of us. This isn't a pastor thing. It's not a grace-free church thing. It's an all hands on deck. Pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few kind of thing. Who are you gonna be? I want you to know to end this message that if you are one of those unchurched, you haven't been to church in forever kind of friends or family members that just rolled into Tremont or rolled into Grace, you're not even sure why you're here. Maybe somebody coerced you 
to get you here. They bribed you with some killer lunch or I don't know, they made you, guilt tripped you into getting here. However you got here, I want you to know this. God is for you and we are for you too. And you don't have to believe to belong here. We'll be patient with you just like Jesus is. We'll walk alongside you. We'll listen to you. We'll give you our heart. And ultimately we hope that someday you let us share the incredible joy and hope and life that we have been given through Christ. There's nothing better and we can't wait for the day you step in from doing life on your own and trying to find your own meaning and purpose and life and step into life with Jesus where he fills your life with meaning and purpose. I, I, we can't wait for that day, but we want you to know we are for you. We are for you. Come as you are. All the baggage, all the questions, whatever you got, and we will walk your road alongside you. We're for you because God is. And last, if you're one of our grace-free people, this is your hood, <laughs> your crew. Get dirty with us. We need you. The lives of the people you love that aren't here matter so much to God. And I know they matter to you. And you may feel like there's nothing you can do or it's too late. But I know this, that a courageous step of faith, even as small as inviting someone to church, when you step past the uncomfortableness of having a conversation about God and you start a conversation about God, when you're willing to serve, even though you're not quite sure if you have the time, God will consistently and over and over and over again use you, not use me, use you to do something bigger than you ever could have imagined or thought of asking for in the lives of those people that you love. We need you. This is who we are. We are a church that is for Jesus. We are for Schuylkill County. And we are for your friends and family who don't go to church. Are you with us? I really hope you are. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much. Wow, I'm so thankful that you are patient with this man who asked this question of you. So thankful that you don't let us just live in the superficial, the fake, that you keep driving us towards life and towards you. We need it. We got nothing without you. Would you help us have the courage to be the kind of church, to be the kind of people you have called us to be? Would you help us go and do the same? In Jesus' name, amen.